welcome to the Weaver On-Chain podcast series. I'm your host, Tim Savage, and I lead Weaver's blockchain and digital assets practice. In this series, we dive into various topics in the blockchain industry, and each show features guest speakers who are deeply involved in this space. On the episode today, we have Adam Blungberg. Adam has been in financial services for 12 years, starting with an insurance broker dealer and moving to his own RIA, started with his partner, Ron Dixon. Adam is also the co-founder of Interaxis, a company dedicated to education about digital assets, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. And Interaxis has a YouTube channel full of incredibly informative video videos and educational material. And in 2021, uh, Adam launched a course and, and certification to teach financial advisors how to uh, how to make crypto assets part of their practice. And they have educated over 200 advisors through this course and thousands of others through uh, virtual presentations all over the world. In May 2021, uh, Adam helped launch PlannerDAO, the first decentralized community for financial advisors. And PlannerDAO has already grown to have over 700 members to date. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Really, really excited to have you on today. Hey, Tim, always, uh, you know, excited to be here, excited to meet you, excited to, to talk about this. Uh, and, and of course, always excited to talk about crypto and DeFi. Oh, yes. One of the most exciting topics. I could spend days and days talking about it. Um, uh, I, I bet. And, and, you know, as you know, very polarizing as well. Oh, yes. Um, you know, the conversations can go many different directions. And in fact, I was just doing a speaking event. Um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, and somehow we got on the topic of wars and, you know, what's going on geopolitically and got way sidetracked, but it's always fun to talk about that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? It, it's interesting you bring that up, and I know we'll get into other stuff here, but you start talking about wars and, and geopolitical talks and, and whatever else is going on in the world that, that we've had in the last few years. And... Um, it does it at some point or it can at some point get back to crypto and get back to DeFi, not saying that that's the end all be all. And I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, you say when you're a hammer, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But we do talk quite a bit, honestly, with financial advisors about how what is happening geopolitically, what is happening, what has happened with COVID, what has happened with masks, what what is happening with all with with governments, how it affects or can affect crypto and decentralized finance, what, what the effect is, because of course, uh, you know, as we'll go into later, we have to discuss, we have to help advisors understand how it affects portfolios, how it affects assets, uh, how it affects crypto assets in this case. Um, and some of that, you know, lends itself to geopolitical discussions. You know, not just the crypto world too. I mean, the, the broader economic, macroeconomic factors in the world are deeply uh, affected by you know, these wars and, um, you know, start getting you thinking about inflation and monetary policy and all the supply chain issues we're seeing and what that's going to do to the world. So um, very, very in tune with that right now. Um, but maybe to, to hear a little about uh, a little bit more about your background. You know, I love what you're doing with Interaxis. I think education, uh, educating financial professionals in this new space is vital it's one of the primary goals of this podcast series. And so I know our interests align very closely. Um, and I've been looking forward to having you on the show for quite some time now. So for our viewers, um, can you provide a little color uh, on your background in the in the world of blockchain and crypto? 
Sure. Um, so I, I was a, I'm a certified financial planner. Uh, I had an RIA, as you say, with my partner, Ron Dixon, for several years here in Texas. And uh, I got kind of bit by the crypto bug, whatever you want to call it, in mid-2017. Uh, and the, the pseudo humorous story I usually tell is I, uh, I unfortunately was a victim of Hurricane Harvey here in Houston. My house flooded. Uh, I sold the house. I ended up with a whole bunch of insurance money, living in a rental home for a while. And um, quite honestly, some of the money that I started in, in crypto with was some of this cash I had lying around from insurance. Of course, didn't tell my wife about it because not exactly something I you know, was, was going to ask her uh, about. Uh, but I, you know, invested a little bit in it. And as you know, very well, Tim, crypto is 24, seven, 365, which meant once I bought my first ETH, uh, I was looking at my phone all the time, every eight minutes on the dot, wake up in the middle of the night, check my phone, uh, to the point that at one, at one point, my wife, you know, one night we we're going to bed, she said, I have to ask you something. Are you having an affair? I said, I, I have no, why would you even ask me that? She said, you're always looking at your phone. 24-7, you're looking at your phone. You went upstairs last week to change clothes and you were up there for 45 minutes and you came down looking at your phone. And I just, you know, I kind of chuckled and I was like, no, no, let, let, let me tell you what I'm really doing. Uh, and I, you know, there's really not a good way to broach the conversation of I took our insurance money and I invested it in fake internet money. Um, but I did. And then I went down the rabbit hole and learned uh, as much as I could about blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, there was no DeFi at the time. This was 2017. There was nothing that, that we called decentralized finance. Um, but I was really excited about the technology. Uh, I didn't quite know what I was going to do with it as a financial advisor, of course, because I wasn't advising clients on crypto. But I knew that it was going to be really important. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we started getting to speak at some conferences, some crypto conferences, because the crypto people wanted... Uh, someone with official letters, I think, after their name. Uh, I, I think that made it seem more valid that it wasn't just a, a crypto person talking about how great it was. It was someone who's a CFP talking about it. And that led to you know, a, a YouTube channel where we just explained it. We don't try to convince anyone. We never try to convince anyone they should buy any sort of or invest in crypto. We just explain it. And that led to eventually launching a course launching a certification, launching the DAO. Um, and now, you know, trying to teach financial advisors, we're launching a course for CPAs uh, to, to help them figure out uh, crypto and how to make it part of their practice. Uh, we have a, attorneys that are taking the course. It's going to be a, you know, a worldwide certification and designation uh, so that people can learn about crypto, about decentralized finance, blockchain technology, why it's important and how to make it part of your practice. Well, I'm sure your wife now is thanking you uh, because since 2017, as we know, the markets have grown tremendously. Uh, yes, she's she's glad that I, I went this way more than anything because I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I, I, I love talking about this just like you. I love discussing with people. It is so much more interesting than talking about typical you know, financial services. Um, it, this this is uh, exciting and it, you know it's fun to be on the cusp. You know, like I, I wasn't there with with the Internet. I, I should have been. I could have been. I was I was in college when the Internet got started for, for the most part and should have taken more advantage. And I didn't. And now I get to kind of make up for that. Yeah, it's forward looking. And, and you know, I can only talk about tax returns for so long all day and before it gets a little boring. And our, 
my clients get bored even faster than I do, of course. Um, but it's almost like that second chance, right? Kind of the, the web three, as we, we call it really this not new iteration of how the you know, internet connectivity and, and blockchain technology is proliferating through the world. Um, and, and it is exciting and, and to see how that um, affects financial services and uh, manufacturing distribution and accounting, you know, all the different industries, that that is a, a much more exciting topic to talk about. It, it really is. And, and look, from an egotistical perspective, I like being one of the, the few that can you know, talk about it uh, and, and talk about it from the perspective uh, of I, I was a financial advisor. I am still a certified financial planner, um, but have this experience and, and uh, ability to explain uh, cryptocurrency, De DeFi, crypto assets, digital assets, all of these things to people. You know, I, I like being able to do that. I enjoy it. I, and, and I just love talking to people about it. I, I, I think I've given three talks already this week about it. I talked to entrepreneurs about it. Um, it's, it's just, it's fun to talk about. It's new. It's different. Eventually it'll be old hat, right? Eventually you and I will be bored talking about it, just like tax returns and, 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 uh, you know, ETFs. But right now it's fun. Well, you mentioned decentralized finance. That is actually a main topic for today. And, you know, in the series, we are starting out a little more basic to you know, cast a wide net for our audience and we will progressively get more technical. You can get in extremely technical in the world of DeFi. So we'll let's, you know, maybe keep it a little more basic. But, you know, for someone who, who's never heard of the concept of decentralized finance, how, how might you explain this to that person? Um, some of the ways I might explain decentralized finance. So if, if you came to me, if someone comes to me and says, explain DeFi, this, this is silly. I don't understand these tokens. Of course, we hear all the, the naysayers about it. Um, what I tell them is it's a, it's a system. If you wanted to rebuild the financial system and you said, look, you currently you have data in all these different silos, right? You have data, you have some of your data with Amazon and some of it with Schwab and some of it with, with an accountant or such. Wouldn't it be better if it was all encapsulated in one big database that, that, that a whole bunch of people in the world contributed to and, and contributed to progressing and processing transactions that we all kind of have access to? So what, what decentralized finance essentially is, is the ability for you and I, Tim, to interact financially without having to ask permission from the bank or the government. And you and I, we both happen to be in Texas right now, but you and I could be anywhere in the world. And if we could interact financially without having to go through a bank and without having to, to ask our government's permission or any sort of financial institution's permission, that's essentially what decentralized finance is. So you start with the premise that I can send you something of value and that something of value is what we usually call money, but I can send you some sort of digital money without, again, without having, having to ask a bank's permission. If you extrapolate that relationship further, you go to the, the fact that once I can exchange money with you, then what I can do is I can lend you money, right? That, that's the next step. And then you can take the fact that I'm lending you money and use that as some sort of collateral and sell that. You, you can maybe utilize that to get a loan elsewhere. You can sell that income stream to someone else. So one, once you get over the fact that we don't necessarily have to have banks, we don't necessarily have to ask a bank's permission or a custodian's permission or a government's permission, 
then you realize we can have this whole worldwide financial system that encapsulates everything we know of now. It encapsulates lending and borrowing. It encapsulates being able to trade assets of value. It encapsulates, you know, being able to uh, help each other out to be able to track the the assets that we own. And when I say assets, I mean it could be my house. It could be cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and ETH. It could be something like Apple stock that I own. If I could track all that again without having to ask the permission of a bank to be able to move it, to be able to interact with it, that's what decentralized finance is. And once you start building and building and building uh, uh, different applications for it, um, that's where things really start to get interesting. And, and what you really see is the efficiencies that can be built. Once you take out those those power players, right? Once you take out the, the fact that there are custodians and, and data providers that have become very powerful and have exercised that power, you uh, oftentimes to the negative against us, then you realize how powerful it can be to you know, kind of take some of that back. And the fact that now I can, I can find new ways to, to um, grow those efficiencies. I can find new ways to distribute that money that was going to those power players amongst those that are actually participating in the system. So I don't know. I, I hope that was a, a decent explanation of what decentralized finance is, but take the entire financial system and essentially take out those, you know, many of those power players like banks and custodians and say, okay, how would we interact if we didn't have them? Very well said. I mean, it's, it's that disintermediation that's so game-changing and, and the redistribution of, uh, of wealth, frankly, and, and also, um, you know, money. Um, so I, I guess I kind of think of it as very similarly, um, you know, essentially it, it all started with Bitcoin igniting the idea of this decentralized peer-to-peer -peer money system all made possible by the invention of Bitcoin's blockchain protocol. And then, you know, even the last few years, this technology has just advanced at such a, a rapid pace with the conception of smart contracts and, and more robust blockchain protocols and applications. Now we have new features and, and applications and, and they progressed beyond just this peer-to-peer -peer money system or remittance system. Um, now we have things like collateralized crypto lending or in you know, X's decentralized exchanges, fractionalized asset investments, NFTs, DAOs, basically the tokenization of anything and everything. Oh, sure. And, and, and it's really important to point out to Tim one, which I try to point out to people is number one, let's look back at when Bitcoin started, right? It was, it was end of 2008 and what was going on. We had the financial crisis. We had the great recession. We basically had uh, a bunch of banks, who, who we had outsourced our trust to. We'd said, look, I'm going to deposit my money with you. You're going to keep it safe. You're going to lend it out to other people and perpetuate the world economy because the, we know the world economy is totally built on debt. Without debt, the, the world economy doesn't exist in the way it does. Um, and we, we trusted those banks and they kind of played fast and loose with our money and lost a whole bunch of it. They got bailed out. We didn't. Okay, and, and again, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm not 100% against banks. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not vilifying them. But let's look back at why Bitcoin started, and the, the, you know, whether it's Satoshi Nakamoto or, or whoever these people were that, that created Bitcoin said, based on the technology we have, there's probably a better way to do this. There's a way to do this where we can actually, people, individuals can process the transactions that banks do, 
and therefore we don't have to ask the bank's permission. But the only way to do that is we can't use dollars because if we use dollars to give incentive to people to process transactions, then we're going back to the same banking system that, that we're trying to replace. And that's when Bitcoin was created. Bitcoin, the, the currency to perpetuate Bitcoin, the network, right? And, and then Bitcoin, the network was successful. And that's where we got DeFi. Everyone said, okay, well, since that was successful, what other cool stuff can we do with this? And that's where we got Ethereum and decentralized finance and tokenizing everything. And so the, the important thing is to realize that this is not necessarily just a speculative thing anymore. This is a natural evolution, a natural technical and financial evolution. This is the direction we would go based on the technology we have. It, it, it completely makes sense. And the, the network, the system is being built. All these tokens on top of it, these things that people are making money on, those are necessary to, to make the system go. But the system the, the system that's being built is really the important part, not the, the value of the tokens. Yeah, I mean, when you boil it down, just the basic idea of, of a money not being controlled by a central authority that is decentralized around the whole world we're globally connected now it kind of makes sense right and um yeah <laughs> i don't want to sidetrack too much but it got me thinking about like you know the cbdc centralized bank currencies and uh first of all we're already using you know digitalized dollars at this point you know, that's the way we operate <laughs> and it, you know a central bank digital currency totally is against the thesis and, and the motto of decentralized money um so i always kind of crack up when people think that cbdc's are going to be the end-all be-all um that i think they're going to have use cases maybe hopefully as maybe stable coins um but yeah i i certainly don't think they're they're going to have the impact that most people do i mean what are your thoughts there uh on central bank digital currencies look as you said you know, 99.99% of our transactions are digital anyway. As, as a matter of fact, I was at a, a, an actual CFA event yesterday and someone came up to me and said, um, I don't feel like I can trust Bitcoin because I can't see a Bitcoin. And I was like, how often have you used cash in the last few years? You, you don't use a dollar. And she said, yeah, but I can see one. It doesn't matter. There's, there's way more dollars being used than there are actually dollars in existence. So... You don't use real money. Money's all digital for the most part anyway. So a central bank digital currency, if it's built on some sort of, you know, di digital blockchain or something, it, it's one, especially here in the U.S., it would take so it's going to take so long for the government to agree on one and get it together that we are going to be way down the road of utilizing Bitcoin and USDC and DAI and all these other DeFi stable coins that a, a U.S.-backed central bank digital currency is going to be so far behind the curve that by the time they get it out, it's not—it's hardly going to be useful. Yeah, it'll be outdated, um, and, and yeah, they're—they're they're going to have to ask the Ethereum Foundation's permission to be on there or something. <laughs> and and it's because we we move faster. I mean, we people just gravitate towards the more efficient system, and we're going to move past what the U.S. government can create based on their rules, based on the rules that say you have to go through Congress and, and you have to have the input of the Fed and everything, which is not bad rules. It's just like by the time they get that done, the technology and what we're using is going to be so far past that because it's moving so quickly. What I'm loving as a recent 
you know, hearing what Luna's doing with collateralizing their stable coin against Bitcoin. I think that's genius. And I, and I hope they're ultra successful because I, I really think that is um, a, a better way to have a stable coin uh, than basing it off of fiat alone. But we'll see what happens. It's largely speculative at this point, I would say. Right. And, and so much of this is, you know, speculative in the in in a lot of these values. It's relatively speculative because they're just not in use that much. The actual use cases. Well, I won't say the use cases aren't there. There are obviously we know billions of use cases, um, but the, the actual users of the systems uh, are not there yet. They're not fully utilizing the decentralized finance rails as as we think they should be, or as we think they will be just yet. Um, love what Terra is doing with with UST, uh, as as you mentioned, using Bitcoin as that kind of anchor for uh, for their stablecoin. Um, much like Maker started doing that. Look, it's super exciting what Maker is doing with Dai and saying, look, we're we're going to allow real world assets, so you can potentially um, tokenize real estate and use that as collateral to mint and die. And for a lot of people who have no idea what I'm talking about, um, it, it's, you know, basically, you know, imagine you imagine if the U.S. government says we're going to create dollars and we're not going to we're not we're not going to be backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government anymore. We're going to be backed by the assets that that U.S. citizens hold. And therefore, if you own your house, you contribute your house to the collateral we have and we'll issue dollars against that. That that's what's happening with Maker Foundation and or, or sorry, not Maker Foundation, but that's what happens with MakerDAO and die. And it's really exciting because now we're not just using crypto assets, we're using real world assets. And some of those are real estate, some of those are invoices, right? Like um, accounts receivable. I can use those as collateral to mint die or or to borrow die essentially. Why shouldn't we do that? This is these are items. This is uh, financial services that people have been wanting. It's just that we've been so used to asking banks if they can do it and asking other companies if they can please, you know, give me credit against my invoices and charging me a ridiculous rate for it. And now the technology is there to do it. And as you mentioned, the Internet got it. The Internet brought us all together. The Internet got us to where you and I are now talking over this video phone. And over this, these microphones and are going to broadcast that all over the world, which, by the way, we've been doing for the last two years straight, nonstop, which seemed like science fiction back in like 1990, in the 1990s, what, what we've been doing for the last two years. It brought technology brought us all together. The Internet brought us together. What it didn't bring together was money. We still had antiquated money rails. And th so that's why I say this is just natural evolution. This is the way that money needs to go. And 100% agree with you. You mentioned Maker and that DAO. You know, my understanding is they're pretty much the biggest application out there right now, unless you consider maybe Ethereum as its own kind of large ecosystem of, of decentralized finance. Um, but yeah, what Maker is doing is incredible. And um, I, I hope to see more competition in the space and, and, uh, some of these products really grow and develop quickly. Uh, I mean, in a period of 13 years, as you mentioned, you know, we're already at a two to three trillion dollar asset class. Now, let's milestone it. What about 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the road? This is this is going to make such a big difference in our world. And um, 
you know, our kids, when they grow up, they won't know any different. This will just be the way they interact. And we'll be talking about, hey, yeah, I remember when we used to have cash and yeah. we'll probably this, have cash. This crazy checkbook. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I to, uh, like, if I owed you money, I would write my, I would sign my name and write a number on a piece of paper and hand it to you. And you would totally trust that I had the money and walk away from me as if we had just settled some sort of transaction. Right. And that, that's going to be crazy talk. My daughter is seven years old. She, she already has crypto wallets. She doesn't know about it yet, but she has them. Uh, and, and they're going to be hers one day. And that's how she's going to learn. That's how she's going to spend money. Her money is all going to be spent using QR codes and, you know, digital signatures. Um, that's just going to be native to her. She's probably never going to learn how to drive a car. She's just going to tell it where to go. Uh, but I mean, that's, but, and, and that's just, again, that's natural technological. And, and financial evolution. And you mentioned, you know, thinking about how, how many people this is going to help that we're already seeing. I mean, that, that's fairly obvious that we're already seeing people all over the world that this technology that we call blockchain technology or crypto or DeFi, whatever we want to call it, is already helping people around the world. In the U.S., we don't see it as much because, quite honestly, we don't need it. 100%. We trust our banks and our financial institutions and our government much more so than we think we do. But so many places in the world, they absolutely need this. This is a, this is a must have. And it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Developing continents, Africa, you're hearing so much movement about how it's banking, quote unquote, banking the unbanked. And, you know, in Asia, I know there's, I think Asia is the leader in crypto adoption. And, um, you know, it makes sense. It's where traditional finance has not yet reached or extended to large populous areas. This is the natural course that people would adopt. Um, so we're, we're running along the exponential curve of adoption. We're still very early, but the most exciting thing to me is, is watching it, um, you know, infrastructure get built out and how this is going to affect us. Right. I, I completely agree with that, Tim. And, and that's what's so important to talk about here is the infrastructure that's being built out, because for the last few years, the narrative around crypto has been driven by the price, right? It's driven by the price of Bitcoin or the price of ETH or all these you know, tokens that go up 100x or 1000x or pictures of animals or whatever it is. The narrative has all been driven by what's the price and how much can I make on it, which is extremely similar to as we talk, as we alluded to earlier, the internet, right? The the early days of the internet, if you remember, was the narrative was all driven by stock price. Whose stock price was going up because they were going public, and there were companies that were doing nothing in the internet, and they'd go public, and they were worth a billion dollars almost overnight, and they they didn't really have anything. And 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 the narrative was all about how much money can I make on internet stocks, not what is this internet thing, and how does it work, and how's it going to affect my life. And it wasn't until the crash, the internet crash, the dot-com crash afterwards that all this money that went into it, they started actually building out the infrastructure. And we started figuring out naturally again, what we're going to do with it. How are we going to utilize this technology to, uh, to, to increase business, to create more efficiencies? And, and if you remember, Tim, everyone said, this is going to replace so many jobs. So many people are going to lose their jobs because of the internet. What's going to happen in the world? We're going to have all these homeless people. When in reality, it created so many more jobs and so much more wealth than it ever destroyed. Right now, we can argue about whether or not things like social media are really good for us. But 
the, the fact is there, it, it came anyway, whether we liked it or not, social media, Facebook, Twitter, everything came anyway, because it, it was just kind of natural. And who would have thought in 1999 that here we are sitting here in 2022, you and I would be talking over video chat, recording it, sending it out to a bunch of people, which, by the way, we don't have to ask the permission of ABC or CBS or NBC or, or any sort of radio outlet to do so. You can just launch this podcast wherever you want. Um, I can summon a car to come get me and it can take me wherever I want to go and I never have to pay the driver with actual money. Right. Th that can happen today. All of those things seemed crazy in 1999 when all we were concerned about was the price of this weird Amazon.com thing. Got me reminiscing about 20 years ago, you know, playing Snake on my brick phone and thinking, wow, this is really cool. Right. <laughs> when the yeah. first iPhone came out, my mind was blown at thinking that we have an actual fast computer, uh, you know, microprocessor in my hand that can, you know, connect to the internet. And, you know, what we have now is just incredible. So it's exactly. And it's, and it's just, it, it, and it was just a natural, it just happened. It wasn't like, someone had to force the iPhone on you. You saw it and you said, this is really cool. I can control this with my finger, right? And the graphics are really good. And then, and then they had the app store and they had API and they said, look, you can, anyone can go build whatever they want for this. Go figure it out. And people figured out what to do with apps. And sometimes it was, I have a company already and I need to figure out what app can make my company better. And some of it was, I have an idea for something totally new. And, and, and they built it and, that's just what happens. You give people the tools and they will just go build it. And, and if we think about something like the, the iPhone, if we think about what Apple has done and we think about what Netflix has done and, and what streaming has gotten us, what it's done, what those have done is they've changed something like distribution, right? They've changed the idea of distribution. So distribution of music totally changed when Apple said, we have this iPod, we have this, this uh, iTunes store. You can go buy music one at a time, one song at a time. And then eventually that changed to you can just subscribe to a service and listen to all the music you want. Right. Distribution totally changed. You have artists who said, look, we don't need to make a whole album. We'll just make song by song by song and figure out what we do there. And we get paid in a different way. Same thing happened with movies and with TV. I mean, Netflix and, and Amazon Prime changed the game because they said we don't we can take a whole bunch of our money and sink it into developing shows or developing our own movies. And they never have to go to a theater. People never have to go back to a theater if they don't want to. You can binge watch an entire season of something. They say it's a season of a show on Netflix, but they release it all in one day. Just a right? long movie. <laughs> at one time. Yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a 12 hour movie is what it is. Um, and it changed distribution as we know the same way distribution of like hotels change, right? With Airbnb and VRBO. So what decentralized finance is, is just changing the distribution of money, right? It's just taking the same technology and changing the distribution of money, changing the, the distribution of, of actual dollars or something that resembles a dollar, or maybe not even something that resembles a dollar, something that resembles payment for other goods or value for other goods and changing the distribution of financial services. Right. Who who can actually distribute financial services? It's not necessarily banks and, and investment companies anymore. I can do it now. I can lend you money if I want to. Gosh, the concept of micro lending, micro collateralization. Yeah, that, that will be a big market. And I think whoever can tap into that or, or you know, provide the best 
product or offering that's based on blockchain tech, that's going to be a, a, a big game changer. That's, it is going to be a big one. And that goes into things like insurance, right? I mean, in, insurance is a multi-trillion dollar industry around the world. And there's so much potential for insurance that isn't reached by traditional companies because it's not it's not economically efficient for it. And now if it can be economically efficient, think of all the people that can get some sort of insurance for whatever their business is uh, or whatever their needs is. And, and insurance can eventually be micro insurance. I can insure, I, I can potentially buy life insurance for myself for today, like just for today. As long as I get through today, I'm good. Yeah. Like renting a car, you know, you, exactly. You I'll, I'll rent insurance, insurance for a day and then drive your car and it's blockchain based, tap your phone on it. And exactly in and out. That's what I'm excited about, Adam. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I, I imagine this you know, the proliferation and going in waves, right? And each time it, it gets it spreads further and further out, affecting more people. And um, you know, we're still so early on. I tell everyone, just you know, this this is going to be radical and amazing. Um, and it's just a natural evolution process, as, as you've mentioned. Um, so I, we are pretty much at time. Um, really wonderful conversation. I'm, I know we'll have you on uh, in future episodes and, and continue these robust, good talks. Um, but anything that you would like to part with? Well, the, talking about all this, it, it's always fun to have these discussions and talk about where it can go and where it is and try to explain to people how, how important it can be. And we're not just talking about speculative assets. But for right now, it's very important in, in what we're doing is helping you know financial service profit helping advisors understand what you and I just talked about and why it's important and how to help their clients who might want to invest in it and that investment can be I want to buy bitcoin I want to buy eth I want to buy some um, some combination of the two or some combination of any of any number of crypto assets what that means how to do it in in a compliant way uh, how and, and then how the custody works how wallets work how to keep the the money safe and secure uh, and, and most importantly, how to have conversations with clients about it, how to have conversations with how to allocate. And so we can talk about all these, you know, where we think it's going to go. Um, but the important thing right now is teaching advisors, teaching accountants, teaching lawyers what it all means for them, for their practice, for their clients right now so that they can have this base level of knowledge. So as we continue to build on the technology, they can keep building on their knowledge and keep keep helping their clients because you and I and the financial advisors that we talk to and, and other, you know, and, and attorneys and such and bankers, they're charged with helping other people with their money. They're charged with helping people with, with, with their money, with, with their funds, with their financial lives. And this is just one of those pieces they're going to have to understand. They're just going to have to understand how it works. And so that's why we're starting now trying to help them understand how it works, not necessarily how to help their clients make 50x their money, but how to how to help their clients just have conversations, keep it safe and secure. And if you're an advisor, an accountant or whatever, you'd be shocked at how much you're going to learn about the financial system by delving into the crypto system. That that rabbit hole that everyone goes down once they, they get bit by the bug. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Education is, is so incredibly important and we will get more user friendly applications uh, as those are developed. I mean, even in a span of six years can remember back to back then, I mean, it was much more difficult to even send, um, you know, Bitcoin or, or any of your crypto assets from peer to peer. You, I mean, it's still 
definitely doable, but now it's you know, two taps and it's, and it's easily sent uh, over any kind of application, uh, you know, that I, main popular ones that we use these days. So it's, it's exciting. Oh yeah. It, it's fun and it's exciting. It's exciting to talk about. And it's great for me to, to be able to talk to uh, advisors and accountants and, and see the, see the wheels start turning and see those light bulb moments where they ask a question and then it, it just sinks in. They go, oh, now I get it. I totally get where, where this is, where it's going and how exciting it can be. And I want to tell more people about it. All right. Well, Adam Blumberg, Interaxis, check out their YouTube channel. And uh, Adam, thanks again for being on the show. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. I appreciate it and then uh, look forward to more.